This episode of All Have Another Podcast is brought to you by Strava. Strava is a social media network for athletes, and it's a social media network I use and I love. I first got on Strava after having my first baby as a way to track my progress and set some goals for myself. It's a really good way to hold yourself accountable and share your training with your friends. I love that Strava shows maps and elevation charts of your runs, and you can also include your cross training as well. I highly encourage you to hop on your phone right now and download the Strava app. It's free. Find me on Strava. I'm Lindsay Hine. And you can also find Glenn, my husband, who I talk about frequently on this podcast. He's Glenn Hine, and he is religious about his Strava posting. Don't forget, Strava is giving away an entry to the New York City Marathon, as well as a $500 stipend to go along with that. You guys go to blog.strava.com slash NYC dash marathon dash contest and enter to win. Let them know I sent you. You can also just Google Strava NYC Marathon 2018 giveaway and you can find it that way too. Thanks Strava for supporting this podcast. Today you guys are listening to episode 110 and I'm talking with Sarah Emerson. Sarah is a longtime listener of this show so I'm honored to have her on the show today. I started following her journey, I think about a year and a half ago, and she is an ultra marathoner. She's run several marathons and is currently training for the Boston Marathon. The inspiring part of her story right now as we speak, though, is that she just wrapped up treatment for breast cancer last summer and had a double mastectomy this past fall, and now she's ramping up her training for Boston, tapering now, and she's also raising money for St. Jude along the way, so... I've kind of been following Sarah's journey on Instagram throughout her whole process and have been very inspired by her spirits. And um, she not only shows the good, she also shows the bad uh, with the journey that she's had here. And I hope that um, we can all get a little inspiration from her today. If you guys are loving the show, I would so appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And if you're looking for more content from me, I do post bonus episodes over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Make sure you guys are following me over on Instagram. It's where I post all of my behind the scenes podcast and family and running stuff. Over there, I'm lindsayhine626. And for anybody coming to Boston, we are doing a meetup the Sunday before the race. So that's Sunday, April 15th from 2 to 4. Location to be determined. I promise. We'll get a location out to you very soon. All right, you guys, let's go ahead and get started and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. So today on the podcast, I'm so excited and honored to welcome Sarah Emerson to the show. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, this is such a fun connection because... I think you started listening to the show like early, like you were one of my early listeners. I did. I think I, I mean, I think I had heard your podcast or saw that your podcast was coming out before you even released anything. And so then you released what I think was like four episodes at Uh once at first. And I flew through those and I was like, one of those, all right, is it Friday yet? Or is it Thursday yet? Like when is the next episode coming out? Um, So yeah, right from the beginning. Well, I really appreciate that because you've stuck it out through some tough episodes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like anytime someone starts listening to a podcast, I'm like, or anytime someone launches a podcast, I'm like, I don't even want to listen until they're at least like 20 episodes in because 
I know how rough it is at the start, especially if you're someone like I, for instance, like I don't have a background in communication or like interviewing people. So I had a lot of learning to do. So I really appreciate you uh, starting from the beginning and hanging with me to, to I, now. <laughs> I loved it. And what was like, I guess what was fascinating to me was like, there were some people that you had on that I had, you know, that I had known um, or like been following, I should say. And so I was really excited to hear them. But then there were people like your sisters that I had no idea. And I was like, wow, that was a really fun episode. And I don't even know them. And like, they're not somebody I had a, a interest in beforehand. And the episode still was like, amazing and so much fun. So that's what I knew as a good podcast was when there was somebody I had no idea who they were. And I still was captivated by it. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, as a listener of other shows, I will go, I will seek out their conversations specifically with people that whose names I recognize. Exactly. Which is like interesting because I do notice that correlation with my show, you know, like obviously if I have like Dina Castor on my show, like her downloads are going to be way higher than the average person. Um, but it, the loyal listeners, like the people like you, they'll often say like the everyday people are the most inspirational ones. They are. They're fun. Well, and I think the other piece of it is, is like, um, and nothing against these folks, but I've heard their story. So, you know, so if no matter if you listen to her on your podcast or another podcast, like she has the same story. Um, and so you may have heard it before, but like these new folks, it's a different perspective or a different story that you may not have heard before. So that's what is interesting to me. Yeah. Some of those professional athletes, their answers can be somewhat canned because they've been like, I've heard this question so many times, (laughs) but some of the questions you're like, well, I have to ask this, even if we've heard the answer. Yep. So let's get into your story though, because you, um, I am not a professional athlete, but you are a hardcore runner and that's awesome. I do run. Yes. So, I think it was, you know, I remember on Instagram, you had posted about my podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. You know, especially the beginning days, anytime someone would post anything, I would be like, wow, oh my gosh, this person not only is listening, but they're sharing my show. Um, yeah. But then not so, not long after that, I saw a post that you found out you had breast cancer. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah, you know, living life and doing what we runners do and training for, for a race. And all of a sudden it was just overnight, you know, um, I didn't feel sick. I, you know, I had no, no idea, none that I had breast cancer. Um, nothing ran in my family. So there was no like, well, my grandma had it. Like maybe I should, you know, it was like in the back of my mind, like none of that. I don't carry the BRCA gene. Um, and so, you know, I just went to my doctor and I was like going for a general checkup, you know, the eyes and ears and she's doing a self or a, a breast exam at the end of it. And I'm literally just shooting a shit with her, like telling her about another friend of mine who had recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. And that's when she found a lump on my left breast and was like, uh, hold on a second here. <laughs> Um, and it, it went from there, um, literally overnight was like living a normal life to the next day was like, wow, what am I going to do here? You know, I, I would say, I kind of feel vulnerable saying this, but this is the kind of, uh, conversation three years ago, even I would have shied away from having because, um, in my life I've had this like cancer fear that's been 
so deeply ingrained in my soul that Mm -hmm. even when I heard or read other things about people that had cancer, I would be like, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to hear about it because it freaks me out. Right. Um, Which is actually an insanely selfish way to live, to be honest, but that's where I was in my life. So um, I'm excited and and, um, happy to be happy to talk to you about this. Um, I'm happy to be here to talk about it. I'm sure you're happy to be here. So, so, but when I say that, I say that in a way that says, based on your personality and what I know of you, it seems like you truly were one of those people that kind of like happy go lucky, like this probably isn't going to happen to me. Like I'm not going to live my life worrying about this. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, just going through life and people like, Oh, don't eat this. That gives you cancer. Don't drink that. You know, that gives you cancer. And so I'm always like, "Eh, whatever, like I'm not going to live my life in that kind of fear. And so I totally, and I'm sure I like would make jokes, like be like, ah, what's the worst that could happen? I could get cancer, you know, if I drink soda, you know, or whatever, something with aspartame in it, you know, there's just, I feel like everything growing up is like, if you do this, you'll get cancer. Um, and I, so I, I never had that fear in my head never even crossed my mind um, that it would even be an option. I was like, oh, I'm not going to get that. You know, we always think that it's not going to happen to us, Um, especially if you don't have any kind of family history of it. Yeah. So I kind of that's that's how I lived. I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to stress about what could potentially happen down the road. So when you did find out, though, I mean, that's like a reality check. Like this is happening in my life. So. As someone who has battled fear their entire life, my question and my thought process is, how did you walk through that mentally? Like, how did you face that fear? Because there was no question of facing it. You had to face it. Right. Like, I didn't have a choice. So I have cancer. Like, you don't get to choose that um, after a while. You know, that's that's a fact. So my choice is what I'm going to do with it. And it never really crossed my mind to be like, you know, quit my life essentially and, and mourn the fact that I had cancer. It was kind of like, okay, I have it now. What? Like, what's the next step? And I was just a very, very much in the moment. I couldn't think too far ahead. The initial, I think, I mean, I found out on a Wednesday and my first appointment wasn't until the following Monday. So I did have a couple of days where I was like, oh my God, am I going to die? Like, that was a very real fear for a few days. And I, and I cried for a little while, but I didn't have any answers. I didn't at that time know what stage it was, how far along it was, like anything. All I knew was that I had cancer. Um, and, but I really tried to stay in the moment and not let myself get too far ahead. Cause I felt like that was just such wasted energy on something that could or could not be a possibility. Um, and so I didn't want to get, let myself get to that point. So I was really trying to stay in the moment and be like, okay, today, this is what I need to do. Or, um, you know, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Like I can ask questions, I can ask those questions and really stay in the moment and not let myself get ahead of myself. Cause that's where I think a lot of that fear and anxiety can be driven is when we start to think the what if, and we always think, what if the worst, you know, and I always think, what if not, you know, so what if this is life threatening? And then I have to also say, what, what if it's not life threatening? Like, what are you going to do? Like, you don't know. So let's, let's not let yourself get there. Well, and let's walk back a little bit because I just wa- jumped in. I was just thinking, I was like, I jumped right into this cancer thing. Uh-huh. We sure did. <laughs> um, 
But let's walk back a little bit because you, um, throughout this whole journey, I mean, you've been through a lot this year. Um, you've kind of been like running and keeping up with, um, physical activities and (laughs) keeping up with life. And you, you know, you've kind of often said like, people will be like, shouldn't you be resting, you know? Um, but tell us about your life before all this, because you're 34, right? Yes. Okay. You're 34. You have a son, you're married. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about you. So I, um, have a son who's seven years old. Uh, he'll be eight this summer. Um, and I have a husband and we've been married. Oh gosh, almost 10 years. Um, and I'm a runner and that's kind of what I was doing and doing the family thing, you know, running and really just kind of going about my life. I, you know, I work full time and I'm a program coordinator at a residential treatment home for adults with substance abuse and mental health disorders. So that's sort of my full-time job. And the running is just a hobby, something I enjoy doing now. It didn't always, but I enjoy it now. And a lot of my social life is built around running. So going to races or, or running races or spectating or crewing for people, um, that's, that's where my passion is. And so before I was diagnosed, like I said, I was gearing up to, um, train for a marathon and was sort of right in the thick of it when, when I got sick. What marathon were you training for? Um, I was going to be running the great cranberry Island, uh, marathon, which is a marathon on a offshore Island up here in Maine, uh, where I live. And the Island is actually two miles long. So you literally go back and forth for like, you, you go two miles down, you turn around and you come back. Um, which sounds incredibly awful, but it's actually <laughs> an amazing, it's just such a fun event. And what's fun about it is that you're passing people. Um, like there's traffic both ways. It's not a, it's not a loop. So you might be running with people who are like four miles ahead of you, but they're running alongside of you. Oh, okay. Just the nature of the back and forth way. And so it's just a very like grassroots kind of fun event. Um, But it's also a Boston qualifier and certified and all that jazz. So, but the only way you can get to the island is on a boat. And then there's a big bonfire and and camp out afterwards. So I was was training for that at the time. I love the out and back thing because it is, it's like exciting. You know, even when a marathon has like one out and back, it's always exciting when you get to see people that you know that are running either faster or slower than you. Yeah, exactly. It's really fun. And then you can kind of watch the leaders and the lead like happen, you know, as yeah. they're, they're coming the other way, you can see like, they they were in first, not the last time. And now <laughs> this person's passing more, they're gaining on them. So that's kind of fun too. As they pass, like they've passed you like three times. Oh, exactly. <laughs> they've gone flying by me. I'm like, yep. See you later. Yeah. But you've done a 50 miler too, haven't you? I have. Yep. So that was a trail run. Um, and that was kind of like one of those things that was just in the back of my mind. You know, I did a, had done a couple marathons, and I kept thinking I wanted to try the the 50 miler. Um, at that time, I had a lot of friends who were doing ultras, and I think that they just kind of like soaked that into me. <laughs> um, and but you know, the years would go by, and I just wouldn't do it. But that kept sitting in the back of my mind, and I thought, I'm gonna do it. I'm just, I'm just gonna do it. So, and it actually was one of the my most enjoyable races, which is really strange, but. Um, 
I just had a lot of fun. I was well prepared. I enjoyed it. Um, and I have no interest in doing it again, but I did it and it was fun. And so I'm going to leave it at that. I don't need to mess with it. You've done it. You've completed yeah. a 50 miler. Like I you're an ultra marathoner. Exactly. I completed it. I felt good about it. I'm going to leave it. I'm not going to play with that anymore. Okay. So, um, that's kind of your history, your background of, of running. You grew up playing soccer though, right? I did. So I hated running growing up and I wanted to be on a team though. And so I got into soccer. My dad used to be a soccer referee. So that's kind of how I think I got into the sport that, you know, I'd go and watch his games or whatnot. Um, but I hated running. I was terrible at it. It was awful. I felt terrible. I was like, why would anybody do this for fun? So I was a goalie on the soccer team just because I was like, this is how I can be part of the team, but I don't have to run as much. And I was like, and if I perfect this skill, like really well, like no one's going to fight me for this. Cause you know, that's one of those positions that not a lot of people wanted to be. Um, and I might be able to like do something with this. So I was, I never played in the field. My entire, you know, I started playing in fourth grade, never played in the field my entire life. Um, and got all the way through college. And when I was in college, you know, things ramped up a bit and our team went on a very long three mile run. And I walked into the coach's office. I was like, I can't do this. This is too much <laughs> running for me. Like I quit. I, I can't do this. And I quit the team. Um, my mom still laughs at me for it. Now, now like, that you run marathons. Now, exactly. She's like my daughter that quit the college soccer team because she was, had to run too far all of three <laughs> miles, um, is now, is now running marathons or like 50 milers. So yeah, something just clicked, you know, after, after college and I was missing that like competitive piece or that, you know, that team sport. Um, and so I had a few friends that ran and so I would go watch their races and you know how that works. You get motivated and inspired. I was like, I think I could do this. So I went to the gym that same day of her race and I ran a 10 K on the treadmill. Um, and I was like, all right, I think I, I think I might be able to switch gears here. So that's kind of how that started. Your son is seven, right? He is. Yep. Seven. Okay. So tell me about meeting your husband and starting a family and all that. So my husband and I met, actually, we were playing soccer, um, and we were both playing in a tournament in Sweden. Okay. When I was in high school. So I was a going into my senior year in high school, and he was going into his freshman year of college. Oh, you guys and were young. Yeah. So we both played on different travel teams. Um, so I grew up in Maine, and that's where I live now still, and he grew up in New York, western New York. And... So we were both on completely different travel teams, but our teams were staying in the same hotel. And so we had just, you know, we would see different teams and talk to people in the lobby or whatnot. This was back in the day of um, AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> right. So and we were just at that time friends and got each other's like screen names and got home and would we started chatting then. And so nothing really developed for a little bit after we got back but um yeah we started started dating and we've been together ever since that's so funny y you youngins listening now I guess you're like that's the same thing as when you get messaged on Facebook I guess because that's just how life was for us I remember my senior year of high school I my I was asked to prom like on AOL instant uh, messenger yeah. and yeah. then you put up like those vague away messages uh -huh. or song lyrics. You know, <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like if you're going through a breakup, like it's a really dramatic song. Depressing. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or and th- if, you know, then go ahead. Th- going to college and you like put up some like, you know, your freshman year of college, putting up those away messages, <laughs> it insinuate that you're like living it up. You know? <laughs> or you do something that's like super um, like, what does that mean? Well, I guess people still do this with their Facebook statuses. Uh, oh, totally. But they like totally still do. We're like, you don't you're not like saying what it means, but like people are wondering like. And they want to just comment, like, what the hell is going on? Just say what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was that day. <laughs> it's called vague booking. That's what it's called. Urban Dictionary right. told me that. Okay. So that's how you met your husband. Yes. Okay. And then um, you had your son. When did you have your son? Like, tell me so about all that. So he was born in 2010. So we got married in 2008. Um, and so we had him shortly after and I was convinced I was like, we're having, you know, a couple kids, three kids, you know, big family. And I was miserable being pregnant. I hated it. Every, every last minute of it was like just different things. I had a fine pregnancy. There was nothing wrong, you know, but I was just either sick all the time or tired Mm -hmm. or I cried all the time or I was super irritable. And I was just like, Oh, this is awful like this is not me and I just was super uncomfortable too um I gained a lot of weight and he was born in July so it was like the heat of the summer at the end of my pregnancy I was just like ready to have him um and so I we had him and we were like I have I made the decision I was like I'm done (laughs) that is it I hope you don't want anymore because that was not fun um and he was fine with it. I mean, he would have gone either way. Yeah. Um, but he was like, all right, it's fine with me. Um, so we just have the one. Um, and that's kind of where we are right now. Have you found that, um, like, when he was, like, two, did you get the annoying question a lot? Like, oh, when are you going to give him a brother or a sister? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So everyone was like, oh, you'll have another one. I'm like, no, I'm serious. I am not <laughs> having any more. And they were like, oh, yeah, you say that. And then. You know, and when he, and I still think that too, but like when he turned like two and three, I was like, man, if we're going to have another one, like I should do it now. Like yeah. this is a good age thing. But I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. I could just, part of me felt like I was only having another one just so that he could have a sibling. Yeah. And I was like, I don't feel like that's a, a good enough reason. Like granted, if we had one, I would love him or, you know, I would love the child and it would be fine and we would get through it. Um, but I was like, I don't know if I feel like that's an acceptable reason to, to have another kid is just so they have a sibling. Right. Um, like, and I just wasn't feeling it myself. And I was like, if I'm not 100% into this, like, I don't have to have another kid. Like, despite what everybody else is telling me, I have to do. Like, there's no law. I That's really awesome because I do feel like um, there's pressure. Because I feel like oh, yeah. once you have one... There's pressure, like, I think a lot of people do stop it too, but I do feel like there's pressure to have another one, just for that reason, to have a sibling. And there's nothing in the book of life that says you can't be a well-adjusted human being if you're an only child. And they were like, well, he needs siblings. I'm like, that's why we have friends, you know, with kids. Uh (laughs) Like, that's why he goes to daycare. Like, he is around people. He's learning to share and to do things and get along. Like, he doesn't need another child in his, you know, home to teach him those things either. Okay, so talk to me about this now, though, because this is something that has been very big in your life. Going through all the treatment that you've been to, through in the past year, 
back then you were at this place where you thought I'm good with one, but now that you have this issue where it's likely that you might not be able to have another one, what's going through your mind and your emotions? Because you're only 34. Right. So I remember my very first appointments. It was a four hour long doctor's appointment with my oncologist and the surgeon. And one of the things they said was, you know, you're young, like you're still at childbearing age. Like, what's your plan? And we both were like, oh, no, we're we're good. Like, we don't need to to do anything because there's a lot because if I wanted to have kids after all my treatments, they would have done like the egg freezing process and whatnot because a lot of the meds just fry. Um, And I was like, nope, we're good. And I was like, you know, in the end, if we can get pregnant, then we can. And if we can't, I'm not going to be devastated. Like, it's totally fine. We weren't thinking of having more. Um, And she was like, okay. So I didn't go through with any of the fertility stuff that they could have done prior to me starting treatments. Um, And then in the last, oh gosh, I don't know, several months, maybe even longer, I've been like, Maybe I do want a kid, oh. you know, maybe that is something I want now that I kind of have just this new different outlook on life. I'm uh-huh. like, maybe, maybe we do like need something else in our life. And maybe that this is what was meant to come of all of this, you know? And so now I'm struggling with that and I can't even like entertain the thought of having any more kids for another, at least two years. They want me to wait five years. And they're like, if you can't wait five years, at least wait two years. Um, and so it's not even really something that I can do anything about right now anyway. So I'm kind of just like, maybe by then I will have kind of figured out my decision and, you know, by then Tyler will be, you know, 10 years old. So then there's that age gap. Yeah. Do I want to start over? And I'm part of me is like, maybe I just want a kid because my friends are all getting pregnant and I can't have any, like I'm being told you can't have something. So now I want it. So I don't know. That's been a struggle. Something that, you know, I mentioned it to my husband. He's like, wait, what? (laughs) I thought we were done. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe. So, and maybe I'm just getting baby fever with my friends getting pregnant. So I'm, I'm hopeful that if I just babysit their kids a lot, like it'll just kind of pass and we can move on. But I don't know. It's an interesting, I, I totally did not expect to, to feel this way, but. For this to be part of the puzzle. Yeah. I was so convinced. I was like, nope, we've got one. We're good with that. Like, we're content and happy. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I really want a baby. Yeah. Well, and yeah, at at the age that we're at, I mean, I I do feel like like a lot of my friends are having their first babies right now in their early to mid 30s, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. I have a lot of friends who are are having their first and, and second right now and friends that have kids that are you know my son's age so I was like oh you know that could have been me or I don't know so it's certainly interesting though and something I never thought I would be discussing okay so let's talk about your friends though because I was just (laughs) thinking about this when you were saying that uh, the song I get by with a little help from my friends Um, I'm sure that you felt that quite a bit this year oh my gosh I don't know how I would have gotten through this year without them like the the idea of community has never been more strong than it has in the last in the last year so we when my husband and I bought this house it was a fixer-upper um but that's you know at the time what we were what was in our budget and we were like my husband's very handy with 
fixing up things. So we knew we knew it could be done, but it was just something that we were going to do on our own as our budget allowed and our time allowed. Um, and so we were in the middle right when I got sick of renovating sort of the downstairs, but we were starting with the kitchen and working on that part of it when I got sick. And some of my neighbors down the street, I remember had texted me and they said, what would your dream for your house be by the time you started treatments, which was two weeks later. Mm. And I, I wrote back and I was like, my dream, like my dream would be that everything is done. You know, like we don't have to worry about that. And I was like, but ideally I would just love a kitchen that we can use, you know, cause we had no stove, you know, literally oh we were putting, yeah. Um, and, and so my neighbor said, you know, I'm working on putting together a dream team for you. And I was just kind of like, excuse me. And so, but at that point I had been so overwhelmed with people just reaching out, wanting to help that I was just like, okay. Like I just didn't question anything anymore. Like I had put up, you know, accepting help was really hard for me at first. I was like, no, we're fine. You know, I don't need it. We're good. Um, So that was really difficult. And at this point I was just like, okay, like what, whatever. Um, And the next thing I knew, like the next couple of days I had, I don't know how many people in total helped, but I had all these friends and who had just different skills. Some people, you know, were electricians. Some people were plumbers. Some people, you know, knew how to lay floors. Some people didn't know how to do anything, but were willing to come over. And they literally gutted my entire downstairs mm. and rebuilt it, essentially. Um, they installed a new bathroom downstairs, which we didn't even have, but we were, that was just kind of part of the plan eventually was to put another bathroom down here. They redid our whole master bedroom which had no ceiling no walls when they started their project laid all new hardwood floors downstairs painted every room you know baseboards cabinets you name it uh all in two weeks that's incredible and I was yeah and it was just like they were here working till 11 or 12 at night you know they're all working their full-time jobs and then would come over after work and work till midnight to get it done and I was just like, well, how, how do I repay you? Was like, I just felt like I needed to pay everybody back right away. And people were like, Sarah, if this were you, what would you have expected? I was like, nothing. Like, I right. do it because I want to. You know, I wouldn't have expected. And they're like, that's what they expect out of you is nothing. I'm like, but I feel like I need to give them something back in return. I was just so incredibly grateful and overwhelmed by, by just that I mean and there was so much more that went on through the year but that was the biggest thing that was just like wow well yeah and I think that's probably like a common feeling in life to feel like when someone does something that huge for you like what do I owe you like what can I you know it's like it's like when you get a thank you card that's really nice you want to like send a thank you card back for the thank you card that was so nice um but I yeah I think as we mature and age in our life like it it's also like receiving a compliment like you just don't don't like say you don't need to compliment me like thank people for the compliment and like own it and move on right. um but that's gotta be exactly. really that's got had to be really challenging to be like I'm gonna let you guys do this for me I'm about to enter the hardest year of my life and I'm gonna let you support me yeah it was, it was, it was really hard, but looking back at it, like if I had to give advice to anybody, I would say, let them like, let people help you. Let people bring you meals. Let people, I had friends cleaning my bathroom, which I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe 
That's a friend of mine is like in my house cleaning my toilet. Like this is mortifying and amazing at the same (laughs) time. Um, And I just had to let them. And, you know, that's how people want to help. You know, you feel so helpless when, you know, somebody's diagnosed with any serious illness that you have no control over. And so my friends aren't going to cure cancer, but this is what they can do for me. Um, And I think not only does it help me, but it helps them to feel like they're doing something and being able to, to help out. So that would be, you know, a big piece of advice is just to, to let people help you and be okay with it and to not try and defend, you know, anything. Um, and just be like, all right, you know, and, and appreciate it. And just know that when you're feeling better, like I just had to know when I was feeling better, like I could repay in whatever fashion that showed up when I was ready, you know, and, and I will, and I am. So I guess a question would be what I struggle with when my friends, when someone's going through something hard, like actually two of my best friends have recently lost one of their parents and, you know, my husband just went through that as well. So I very like have very intimately walked through this in my own life without losing my own parent. Um, and for both of these friends, you know, like I so badly want to be everything I can for them. Yep. But so much of you wants to say, what do you need from me? But like, you don't, they don't want to answer those questions. So what would your advice be? Like that we say to people. Just do it. Like, so instead of saying like, Hey, you know, do you want me to cook you dinner? I'm not going to be like, sure. Lindsay, I'd love for you to cook me dinner. Like, you say, Hey, I made a lasagna. I'm coming over to your house. What time is a good time to drop it off? Yeah. Like, and just do it. Um, because at, for me, I never would have, you know, if somebody said, Hey, would you like me to watch Tyler today? Uh, you know, you don't have to like, it's all right. I'll manage. But I had a lot of people be like, Hey, I'm coming over. I'm going to pick him up. We're going to go out for the afternoon. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so it's something that I wouldn't have a asked for or B accepted had if they had given me a choice but they people just didn't give me choices and I was like it was amazing you know what they were able to do and I felt okay with it and I was I was like yes please take him or that meal was amazing and so nice to not have to think about cooking well and let's be honest I mean We've probably all been the guilty party that reaches out just to say, like, I want you to know I'm here for you, but you're kind of giving yourself an out at the same time by asking what they need because they're not going to say what they need, like you just said. Right. Yeah, I I wouldn't have said it, but – and people would send packages, and that was just really sweet of just random, you know, just things that they thought would be helpful to me, and that was always just really – it made me feel really good. Um. And there was a lot of people that reached out and not necessarily offering anything, but people, you know, that I went to high school with that I haven't Mm. talked to in forever, but had heard of it and just said, listen, I heard your story. I'm really sorry to hear this. I'm thinking of you. Like even something like that was super nice just to hear that like people out there were, you know, I put myself out there, but sometimes I wonder, you know, does anybody read it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so just for people just to reach out and say that. So even if you don't have something to offer or if it's somebody that's not exactly you're close enough with that you would go just pick up their kid or just drive over their house and drop dinner off just to reach out and just say, hey, I heard this. I'm really sorry to hear about this. You know, I'm thinking of you guys. That goes a long way, too. 
Yeah, I've ever since I've experienced any kind of like big things in my life, I always whenever someone posts on Facebook or anything, like even if I don't know them, if they post that like someone close to them passed away or like some, they're going through something serious, I'm like I'm always just going to make a comment if I see it because why not? And like I exactly. don't need to be embarrassed. Like they they're not going to be mad that I made a nice encouraging comment. Exactly. And it goes such a long way. Hey, everybody, real quick, before we continue my conversation with Sarah, I want to thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. I've had a lot of listeners tell me they are loving these mushroom coffees and elixirs. Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushroom coffees and superfood blends delicious, and they're very good for you, you guys. Some of you might ask, why drink coffee that has mushrooms in it? That sounds kind of weird. Well, each serving contains 500 milligrams of mushrooms organically grown, dual extracted with third-party testing. There are multiple brewing options, instant ground coffee and mushroom pods. And chaga, the chaga elixir is one of my favorites, is alkaline forming. This helps improve your energy and metabolism. I recently started drinking the lion's mane elixir after Allie. Kiefer told me about it. She's the one that originally got me on to Four Sigmatic. And then when I talked to her again, she suggested the lion's mane. So I added that to my list. We are also big fans of the Chaga Elixir and the Cordyceps Elixir. And I've been drinking the Mushroom Mocha Mix. So lots of good stuff over there at Four Sigmatic. And you guys, they're offering listeners of the show 15% off your order. You can go to Four Sigmatic dot com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. That's four S I G M A T I C dot com slash another. Use the code another to get 15% off your order. Thanks so much for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. And thank you listeners for supporting our sponsors. So, um, what's going on now? I mean, you're, you're, you're running the Boston marathon in April. I am. Oh my goodness. I am. Um, I am. So I am running. Um, obviously I did not qualify in the last year. <laughs> listening <laughs> going, some things going on. Um, what? Um, I did not qualify, but I've been connected with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital for like the last, I would say three years or so. So before I even got sick. So I didn't have any connection to St. Jude. Uh, but for folks that aren't familiar with what they do, they provide treatment, housing, food, and travel for kids and their families or, or for kids with pediatric cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. Um, but they don't charge you for treatment. They won't charge you to stay in their, ho- you know, their hotel facilities on, on campus. Um, and to me, that just felt like such a blessing. You know, if my kid was sick with cancer, like I wouldn't want to have to deal with the bills and like stress about do I need to sell my house? Like, what do I have to do in order to keep my kid alive? Because at some point, you know, you have to, you have those, those questions. And so St. Jude was just a charity that I felt really passionately about. So I had been doing a lot of fundraising for them prior to getting sick. And then I got sick. Um, and I knew that they had a, a team for Boston and running Boston for me is just one of those things that I just, it's on my, on my list of things to do. And I knew that, and I'd always wanted to qualify that. That was my main goal. And I said, didn't want to go the charity route. I see obviously nothing wrong with a charity route, but for me, I felt like I wanted to be there because I qualified. Um, 
you know, I didn't want to go and, you know, I know there's other ways to get bibs and invitational bib or whatnot, but for me, I wanted to qualify. And after I got sick, I thought, you know, I honestly have no idea what life is going to bring me, you know, and qualifying may realistically not be an option. You know, I didn't think I was going to get cancer. Like, seriously, how much more of a wake up call do I need to not put things off? And Mm. I thought, you know, Boston is, well, that's what I want. And there is a legit route to get there through raising money for charity. And even though that wasn't my original goal and the intent on how I wanted to run it, that's, you know, I was like, I don't know if, if I'll be able to ever qualify at this point. Um, so I applied to be on the St. Jude team and was accepted. So I found that out in November when I literally had just gotten out of surgery. Mm. Um, I was like I wasn't even running really at that point. I just was recovering from surgery and found out that I had been accepted to their to their team for this year's Boston. So yeah, I have a, about a month left. Okay. My... So when you came out of surgery, um, did you have to wait to do? Um, you had a double mastectomy. I did. Yep. Did you have to wait to have the surgery until all of your chemo was done, or did you do it so... chemo then surgery? They I did chemo first and then surgery. So they gave me the option when I you know, that initial appointment, did I want to do surgery first or if I wanted to do chemo first? And I didn't have an, you know, a opinion either way. And they preferred that I did chemo first and then surgery. Okay. Mostly because they wanted to see if the chemo that they were giving me was in fact shrinking the tumor. Mm. And if they take it out, you know, first, and then they do the chemo, they can't tell. They can only hope that the regimen that we went was effective. Mm. Um, so we did chemo first and when they went in for surgery, uh, they found that my tumor had shrunk by 95%. So they were really excited about the effectiveness of what the regimen that we chose. And then of course they took the rest of that tumor out in surgery. Um, so that was all, all good news, but yeah, so I chose to do, I did 20 weeks of chemotherapy first and then I had the double mastectomy. And then after the mastectomy, did you do any radiation? No, I didn't have any radiation because I didn't have, it didn't go into my lymph nodes. Okay, great. And because I had a double mastectomy and not just a lumpectomy, Uh then I didn't need to do radiation. So had it gone in my lymph nodes, I would have needed to. Had I only just had the tumor out and... Um, not had the mastectomies, I would have had to have radiation. But because neither of those things were a factor, um, I did not have to have radiation. So that was really good news. So for uh, you personally, what made you decide or did you even have a choice to do the mastectomy over the lumpectomy? Um, no, I had a choice. Um, so with the lumpectomy, what happens is they go in and they take just the tumor out and some you know, tissue around the tumor. But because they're not taking everything, all of the tissue out, there's a chance that, you know, that the cancer cells could grow back. And so what they do is every six months for the rest of your life, you will go in for an MRI followed by a mammogram six months later, followed by an MRI six months later for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, And an MRI is the most like the best picture that you can get. In fact, the tumor, my tumor wasn't even able to be seen in a mammogram because I have such dense breast tissue and tumors also show up the same way as dense breast tissue shows up. They both show up as like white spots on a mammogram. And so they couldn't even see my tumor on the mammogram, even when they knew what they were looking for. 
they couldn't really see it. Um, when I went in for my MRI initially, they found two more tumors that they didn't see in my ultrasound. Mm. So it's a, it gives the best picture. And so there's also the chance for a lot of like false positives. And so there's just so much anxiety in that. So you go in for an MRI and they're like, oh, we found this spot. And because you've had cancer before, we don't want to ignore it. So we're going to do a biopsy of it. You know, it just gives such a clear picture that you often, they'll often find things that aren't tumors. And I was like, I am only at the time 33. I was like, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Like have all this anxiety and, and the mammogram didn't even show anything to begin with. So to me, that just felt like why even do that? I mean, I know why, but so I was like, forget it. Just take them all. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want any, any part of this. Like, yeah. you know, just be done with it. So that's why I chose to do that. Some people, people don't. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with either option. It was just my personal preference was I didn't want to go through all of that testing every six months for the rest of my life. Now this is we're getting like personal about boobs here, but oh, I, I'm, I'm used to it. <laughs> but my question is, um, most listeners know that I had a prophylactic mastectomy because I I do have the BRCA two gene mutation, um, and it was emotional for me. But I also this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I also didn't have like very large breasts, and so I oftentimes wonder if that would have been the case would I have been more emotional about it? So were you like, did that factor in? Were you emotional about losing mm-hmm. something that had been a part of you for your whole life? Well, I wasn't until after it, it was gone. And I, so all along I was like, I don't care. Like they're just breasts, like no big deal. Um, if it means that I'm not going to have cancer anymore or like that, that risk is significantly um, diminished, then take them. I don't care. And yeah. then after I woke up from surgery, um, and this could just be me coming off anesthesia too. So who knows, but I woke up and I just looked down and I just started crying and I was just like, okay, it's real. Like they're really gone. Like, and that there was a letdown after surgery for my mom stayed with me for about a week. And then after that, when she was gone and I was kind of home by myself, I was like, all right, like <laughs> this is, this is a real thing. Um, because During surgery, so I had the implants put in about three months after my surgery. Okay. So they put in what they call tissue expanders. They put them in behind my muscle wall. And essentially, every week I would go in. um, Some people are like, this is sweet. But every week you go in and kind of get them blown up a little bit. They put in saline every week. And so they expand to your desired size. And then essentially, once I was the size that I wanted to be, so I could have gone bigger or smaller than my original size. Once I was the size I wanted to be, then we would schedule the exchange surgery to put the implants in. Um, so when I woke up from surgery, they had put a little bit of saline in, but not much. So I was pretty flat. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like they're really gone. And and they feel like rocks. I mean, not I, at all comfortable. I had this. I had the I did the exchange like that, too. So I yeah, I, I don't. I always want to make mention that like, I don't, um, sometimes I say I don't feel worthy of even talking about it, especially to someone who's actually endured like chemotherapy and having a cancer diagnosis, but I very do relate to all those. It's the same surgery though. Yeah. And like the, the tissue expanders are so freaking hard. Like they're rocks. They are. And I remember my plastic surgeon, when I went in to meet with him for the consult, he was trying to describe it to me. He's like, they're basically going to feel like that doorknob over there. And (laughs) I was like, 
so that's cool. Like, <laughs> long gone are squishy, you know, yeah. squishy boobs. Like, and the other thing that got me was um, initially my my um, surgeon. So I had two surgeons. I had a breast surgeon, and then I had a plastic surgeon, and they worked together to my breast surgeon would she did all the like removal of the tissue and cutting out all the cancer stuff and the plastic surgeon kind of came in afterwards and cleaned me up so to speak and did his his side but my breast surgeon initially said that I would be able to keep both of the nipples Mm. because my tumors were far enough away from it that they wouldn't that they could keep this keep them um and then after I had oh gosh I don't even remember I had some exam and she was realized the tumors were much closer to the nipple than they had thought. Okay. And so that they were going to have to take the nipples as well. And so that really got to me. I was yeah. like, I was in a lot of tears. I think I was just not prepared for, for that piece. And I was like, I don't even know why I care. Like no one's going to see these, like, you mm-hmm. know, but I just, it just felt now I'm much more like whatever, but for that was hard to, to handle for for a couple weeks yeah especially because you had your mindset on what was going to happen yep yep and I you know and I think if she had told me initially this is what's going to happen we're gonna have to take the nipples I would have been like okay this is what we do but um when she said I could keep them I think I kind of felt like well my outside is going to look the same yeah like you won't really be able to tell if you were looking at me that you know that I had to have um a double mastectomy because the scars were just, you know, they're hidden and you can't really see them. It's actually kind of impressive. But now that they don't have nipples, I've got two big scars right across the, you know, center of my breast where nipples would be. And it's like, clearly, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my scars are on like the side because I, yep. I did, since I didn't have cancer. And it does leave you with a little bit of a, a more of a risk if you leave them. But my, my scars are just like on the side and they're very, very small. Like, and as time goes on, like they fade a lot. I mean, I don't even really notice them, but I'm sure that if someone saw me with my shirt off that had never seen me, they'd be like, what are those scars? You know? Yeah. They're pretty tiny. I mean, if it's, it's really kind of crazy. Because I think some people do like, yeah, some people do like underneath, like my mom had the same surgery and hers are underneath. I don't think you can see them all. Mine are like on the side though. So they're in a different spot. I guess it just depends on the surgeon and what, what route yeah. they decide to go in. Yeah, seriously. Um, So talk to me a little bit about like stigma because uh, you obviously lost your hair. You had chemotherapy. Yep. You never wore a wig. I didn't know. So talk to um, me about like when you're out at the grocery store and like people giving you a double take, like does she have cancer or does she just one of those people that doesn't have <laughs> hair, you know? So as soon as I found out I was going to lose my hair, um, I was, I was like, I'm not wearing a wig. Like I am the most low maintenance hair person there is to begin with. Like when I had long hair, I mean, you had long, long, beautiful hair. Though. I did. I, I think I, when I, so I got it cut before I lost it just so that it wasn't as much but I cut off 15 inches and then I that still left quite a bit of hair I think I probably had like 20 inches of hair um it was down you know the middle of my back lower back it's long Um, but I would yeah but I was a throw it up in a ponytail put it in a bun and head on out the door like there was no doing my hair or whatnot so it was kind of a joke I was like well I don't even do anything with my hair anyway like so when I lost my hair, I was like, I'm not doing a wig. Like that is just not me. Um, 
I don't have time for that. <laughs> and so when I lost, so I went to the Boston Marathon last year and my hair started falling out like while I was there. And mm-hmm. I remember that. And I came home. Um, so it was on Monday, obviously. And I came home that night and I, th- I had Tuesday off from work because I'd had chemo the Friday before. And so my kind of worst days were the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after, after my treatments. And so I had Tuesday off from work and I remember just my head hurt so bad. Like it ached, you know, when your ponytail is too tight and Mm -hmm. your head just hurts. So that's the kind of feeling and my scalp and my mom was like, I'm coming down. She lives about three hours away. She said, I'm coming down. I'm taking you. We're just going to go cut your hair. Like, Mm. I know that this is painful for you. And, you know, and it's at that point where you get up and you just see hair like on your pillows or it's Mm. like all in your blankets or it's happening, you know, there's nothing I can do. And she was like, we're just going to come do this because it's just going to be miserable for you to just watch it kind of fall out. And so she came down and this is just the other funny thing. I was like, how do I shave my head? Like, what do I do? (laughs) There, these are things you don't think of um, as a woman. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how do, what's the best way to, to shave my head? And I literally went to like a supercuts and I was like, I need you to just shave my head. Ugh. And she looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, just shave it. And she was like, okay. Like, she didn't ask questions. I'm sure she could figure it out. Um, Were you emotional? Were you and crying? And then I was not. You know, I, I, I didn't. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not <laughs> upset about this? Like, shouldn't I be? But I think I had just come to a place of acceptance and I knew it was happening. Um, and so I didn't then. Um, so she shaved it and my son had a really hard time with it. Mm. He was like, you look like a boy. And yeah. And he was, you know, I, I volunteered at school. And so he's like, if you come to school, can you wear a hat? Because oh. I don't want, you know, so that was really hard. And I was like, my son, you know, doesn't even want to be seen with me. So the couple days after I initially shaved it and had a bald head I was was hard but once I was used to it like then my fear was like I was gonna make somebody else uncomfortable Mm -hmm. like someone would come to the door and I don't have a hat on and I answer the door I was like oh shoot like they're gonna feel weird and not know what to say you know when I answer the door and I'm bald and so a lot of my my thoughts were like, I didn't want to make other people feel weird. Um, and then I got over that because it got hot and I was like, <laughs> it's summer and I don't care. You know, once I felt more comfortable with it, then I was totally fine. And I don't feel, you know, you would get those looks like people would kind of look at you and be like, yeah, she probably, probably has cancer. Cause that's what most people associate, uh, you know, loss of hair with. Um, but it wasn't terrible as far as like, the looks or whatnot in the grocery store. I think probably people, they kept it to themselves pretty well. I did have one funny story. I was um, in a grocery store with my friend and I, and we were in the bathroom and she, she had to use the bathroom. So I was just waiting. And there was this woman at the end of the frozen food aisle who just kept looking at me. And I was like, oh God, you know, like, and she kept looking at me and then she finally came over and mm. Oh, God, and I can't remember her exact words because this feels like so long, but um, she actually was a cancer survivor as well. Oh, okay. But so she was more just looking at me like, I feel your pain, like Mm. I know, and she was just like, you know, 
how much longer are your treatments or something like that. And, and then she told me she was a cancer survivor as well. So, but it was just funny. Like she was like staring at me from like down the aisle. I was like, what is this woman thinking? Like, what is she doing? But almost like she had this like too much. I would say almost like she had this, like she felt this deep connection with you. Like, yeah. And and that's the the thing is like, yeah. And she wanted to say something and we do like, I have, I see people and, um, I want to go up to them and be like, I'm a survivor. Like yeah. I have cancer too. Or, you know, cause there's that connection that no matter how close your friends or family are, like they don't get it. Yeah. You know, you only get it if you've actually walked through it yourself. Well, I'm curious to know about how things were with your son, because I think, you know, like my mortality and my like issues with fear have been something that have been a part of my whole life. But once I had kids, that fear like grew exponentially at the beginning because your fear turns into all I want is to see my kids grow up and like see them get married and or see them you know be successful in life and so that's a really hard part of this whole story it is so like I said the first few days when I had no answers was really hard I just didn't I didn't know like how serious this was and was I going to live? And that was really hard. I think I slept in my son's bed those couple of nights because I just was like, like comfort just, in that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I want to spend every minute with you, you know? Mm. And, um, but the, one of the very first things when I went into that appointment on that Monday was they said, this is curable and you're going to live. Oh. And that was like the very beginning of my doctor's appointment. And so from then on out, I could, breathe and they're like we have a treatment like you're not at a crazy you know an advanced stage yet like this is curable you're going to live what stage stage one okay I was at stage one so it was caught very early and from then on I was like okay I'm gonna live so everything else I have to do is just something I have to do to get better it was almost as if I was told I had the flu and I was like you need to take your cough medicine and you need to rest and whatever like after they told me that this wasn't yes cancer's bad obviously but that they had a cure and that it was gonna work and I was early enough on I just felt so much relief and peace from that that I was able to really focus my energy on getting better and going through the treatments and not having to be like well what if this doesn't work or you know I just didn't let myself go to the what ifs so I allowed myself to truly believe that they were correct, that I was going to live and I was going to be okay. And I didn't let myself get beyond that. But I mean, even so it being stage one, I mean, it seems like they went pretty aggressive with your treatment. And is that because you were so healthy going into it? So they were, they were more aggressive when they found out that I had two extra tumors that they didn't uh-huh. know about. Um, cause initially I was only going to be doing 12 weeks of chemotherapy. And then when I had that MRI and that showed two extra ones, what they couldn't be sure of was, was it one bigger one, which would have put me into stage two or was it three smaller ones, which still would have been stage one. Um, and so because they weren't sure we, uh, opted to go a more aggressive route as if it was, um, the stage two or like one large tumor. Cause I was, you know, I was like, I'm not going to do this again. Like, if this is it, going to do this one time, let's just go for it and attack it and be done with it. So I opted to 
to go the more aggressive route, which they recommended and felt more comfortable with. Um, they just weren't feeling 100% comfortable that the original treatment plan was going to be what I needed. I hate bringing up stuff like this because I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about this. But like, what? how do you go on now day to day, you're cancer free, but just like, you know, like you said before, when you, when you had the option to get the lumpectomy um, and you would have had to get MRIs every six months, but just like the thought and the fear of ever coming back, like how do you live your life not in fear of that? Oh God, I totally have that fear. <laughs> like it's in my mind because I feel like I've met so many people that are like, I'm a three-time cancer survivor. Yeah, I'm yeah. like three times. Like what? <laughs> what's this one time we're done? Like, yeah. you know, and so I have that fear a lot. And what I have to find comfort in is that I'm being followed by my team now, like more closely than, than your average person yeah. would be. Um, anytime I'm feeling a little bit weird or off or different, they are all over it. Um, and so I can't control if cancer is going to come back. Like there's really nothing I can do about that. So I have to have comfort in knowing that if it comes back, it's going to be caught real early Mm. And we're going to be all over it and attack it right away. Um, like I just, and I try not to let myself go there. I do. And I have to bring myself back to the moment and just stay very like in today. And today I'm cancer free and today I'm living and I feel good. And so we're going to just stick with that. Cause if I get too far ahead of myself, you, you can, you get yourself all wrapped up. Well, what if it comes back in 10 years, you know, and it turns metastatic and there is no cure and what if what if what if but we're not 10 years down the road we're here today and I don't have cancer today so that's what I'm choosing to to focus on so this is probably a question that anybody that survived cancer hears a lot but I find it interesting to hear the answers to how has your outlook on life changed I find that I'm much less worried about stuff I guess um and like I said just really like if there's something I want to do I'm just gonna go do it mm. like signing up to run Boston like I was like I don't know if this opportunity will present itself in the way I want it to but I have a chance now so I'm just gonna hop on it and do it um and if I want to go somewhere and you know if we want to go you know camping as a family instead of saying well we don't have time to do it or there's not enough you know we have to do this instead I'm just, let's just go do things now while, while we're all feeling good and healthy. And I think that has helped just to keep living life, you know, and that's what I really tried to do was, you know, earlier you mentioned that a lot of people were saying, well, shouldn't you be resting? Well, maybe, but <laughs> I feel good today and I want to get up and I want to do things. You know, I don't want to be laying on the couch. And feeling sorry for myself because that's what you do when you lay on the couch, you know, mm -hmm. um, you get in your head. And so if I'm feeling good, I want to be up and moving and I want to work or I want to, you know, go do things with my friends or my family. Um, and then if I'm not feeling good, I'm going to lay in bed and I'm going to rest and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Yeah. But just listening to my body and really being guided by my body um, and doing things I want to do and not putting things off or coming up with excuses on, on why, like the laundry will still be there. Trust me. The dishes <laughs> will still be there. Trust me. Like go have fun. Like while the weather's good, enjoy it. You know? 
honestly, and I mean, social media is such a weird thing, but I, I truly have been inspired you by you from afar because you, none of us know when something crazy is going to happen and you can't live in your fear in fear that it's going to happen. But watching you um, walk through this from a distance and seeing you still, um, from what it seemed, live fully and and joyfully has been really inspiring. Oh, thank you. And I tried to, you know, I really tried to portray that. And I was like, I have a story, unfortunately, but what am I going to do with that story? You know, I can either hold it to myself and go about it and which is fine. And if that's the route a lot of people choose, but I, for me felt like I needed to share that story with people. And I didn't want, you know, social media, it's so much like, well, it looks like you're having a pretty good day or that right. looks like your life is pretty good, but we never really know. But I really tried to put everything on there. Like there were good days and there were days that I felt like shit and I put that out there too, you know, and I didn't want people to be like, oh, wow, look at you. You're awesome. And I'm like, well, there's also days that weren't so awesome. And I'm going to show you that. Like, yeah. I want somebody to be able to look at that and get a, a an entire picture of what it's like and not just the good or not just the bad, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and I feel like we've seen that. I feel like we've seen both sides of that. And, um, I don't know. I've just kept always thinking like, man, I hope if I'm ever in that situation, I approach it this way. And you know what? Like putting yourself out there, uh, is vulnerable, but it also gives you like a community of support, right? Oh, it totally did. So I started, kind of writing just as a way for my friends and family to keep up with like what doctor's appointment I had or what was next because I just had no the chemo really zapped my energy and so even just to like text people took way more energy than I had and so I was like I'm just gonna put this here and people can one you know write it once and then everybody can get my information from there Um, But the more I went through it, I started writing more and I would share more stories about what I saw or what I was experiencing or what I was feeling. And I got a lot of really good feedback. And I was like, well, people enjoy reading this. Like, I don't know why, but but they do. And that not only, you know, people, you know, people say that I inspired them, but I also got a lot of really good hope from people like in return, you know, people would comment and, and give me good messages and kind of help pick me up on the days that was, that was rough. And when I was having a good day, like they were right there to celebrate with me and to, you know, give me a virtual high five. Yeah. So what are you most excited about in this coming year? Oh man. Um, well, I'm excited about being able to like live, <laughs> you know, I sound so simple, but last summer was just, you know, that's when I was in the thick of my chemo and it was, I was just so drained. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to like enjoy summer. Um, I'm obviously running Boston, which is a dream. So I'm really, you know, that's really exciting. I have, I'm going to a conference in April in Washington, DC for, um, advocating for community oncology. So that's been something that, you know, sharing my story has really helped provide or given me a lot of opportunities to be able to, to do different things like that. And then I'm also going to uh, Waco, Texas in May um, to take part in the silo district marathon and half marathon that, 
that um, Gabe Grunwald is sort of part of and Chip and Joanna Gaines. And um, so I'm going to that in a couple weeks. So that's really exciting. So I have a lot. I know, right? Um, I have a lot of really just fun things coming up in life. So I'm just really excited to like live life healthy. Um, Okay, Sarah. So tell me one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done. Oh man. I think personally I, so I used to travel quite a bit uh, um, and I haven't done that in a long time. And I really want to get back out there and start traveling more. I think this has again, shifted my perspective on like, don't put things off that you want to do. Um, and so I really want to, I want to do some more traveling. I want to go to Ireland. It's one of my, my spots. And also just to do some stuff out West, I think would be really fun. Does your husband like to travel? No, (laughs) which is why we haven't done much. He's not a big flyer. That's the problem. If we can get someplace by car, we're cool. But if we have to fly, he's like, oh, he's not super jazzed about it. Um, Is is he afraid to fly or is he just like, I don't want to deal with it? He doesn't. He's not afraid. He's afraid to fly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if we're being real. Yeah. He doesn't love it. He'll do it. But um, if we, you know, sometimes, you know, when we've gone to St. Jude, which is in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, he's like, we can drive there. (laughs) Three day drive. I'm like, or we could just fly and be there tonight. (laughs) Why do we have to take a car ride? But so, yeah, that that's been the sticking point. But I think we're going to we're going to work on that. Well, I'm, I don't like to fly either. I mean, I, I bite the bullet and I do it just because I'm like, I can't, you know, I got to live my life. But, um, I, so I'm more like your husband and my husband's more like you where he's, I, it sounds, seems like you don't mind it. Cause my husband's like, no, doesn't bat an eye. He's like, whatever. Um, no, totally not. And I, I enjoy it, but that's right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. What, what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I think I have to say surviving cancer might be my <laughs> most proudest accomplishment, but I think it's the way that I chose to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, quitting life would have been the easy way out, you know, to just kind of be like, all right, work, I'm done. Sorry, social life, I'm done. Like, if you want me, you can come here, you know, but it was really important to me to not let cancer kind of take over my life more than it had to necessarily. So if I could get up and I could go and I could go spectate my friends at races and if I could go, you know, travel where I could or, you know, do things then I wanted to. Um, and so I'm really proud of forging on and, and continuing to get up, even though I was going through this. On that note, coming off of that surgery in November and then training for the Boston Marathon... <laughs> How has your like energy been and how have you handled that training? Oh, running's really hard. Okay. So, um, I'm, it's not like I'm out of shape. I mean, I am, but it's not just that I'm out of shape, but all of the medicine that was pumped into me over the last year has really taken a toll on like my lungs mm. and just sort of my inner organs. So running I mean, this is the hardest training cycle, and I say that loosely, that I've ever done Mm. um, for anything, even the 50-miler. And I'm doing less mileage a week and less intense workouts every week. You know, it's probably 
the easiest training I've done, sure. but it's by far the hardest. Um, and it's just a getting back into shape. Um, but B just, you know, being able to breathe and to, to, you know, my paces are so much slower, which is fine. Boston at this point is not about pace. Um, yeah. for me, you know, for me, it's just getting from one end to the other. Um, so it's been really hard and very humbling. Like I honestly did not expect it to be this hard day to day. I feel fine right now. And I'm like, okay, like I'm good to go. And then I start running and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like this is hard. Um, so I have just, a you know, and I will watch runners who just run so effortlessly and, you know, maybe they're, it's hard for them, but they're, they're able to do it without stopping to walk. And I'm like, like, I forget what that feels like. Like, this is really difficult, but, but I'm doing it. You know, I'm up to 20 miles now, which is like, I couldn't even, you know, last summer I was like, I can't even fathom yeah. running 20 miles. Like I remember sitting in, in Boston, I had seats at the finish line at Boston last year. And I'm like, these people just ran here from Hopkinton. <laughs> like, what, what are they crazy? And so, yeah, training's been hard, but, um, I, you know, I started from scratch obviously, and I've built up very, very slowly. Um, and it's just accepting that I'm in a different place and that's okay. Do you, you, you strike me as a more, happy person than an emotional person but do you expect to be emotional at the finish line um I bet I will be yeah um I I anticipate I will be um so we'll see what happens but um I think it'll be a, a pretty powerful day in itself yeah I mean I'm just like putting myself in your shoes thinking about how I'd be bawling like a baby the last like few miles <laughs> Running and crying, I've learned, is you gotta real get through hard it, to do at the same time. So, <laughs> you got to save it for um, the finish line. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. So if you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, who would it be? So I think that that changes, you know, no matter where you are in your life. Like, it's always like, oh, these people will be really cool. But I think, like, right now in my life, the people that I would love to hang out with, I would love to have coffee with Gabe Grunewald mm -hmm. um I'm just I've been fascinated with her from you know I've been a fan of hers for several years now but especially once I got diagnosed um have been even more more of a fan of hers so I would love to hopefully maybe in Waco we can yeah. make that happen um so I would love to she's just an inspiring person and to you know and for her She's got a rare cancer. Like she didn't have the answers that I have. Yeah. You know, she didn't walk into that doctor's appointment. They say this is curable and you're going to live. And we know what this is. Like she has so many unknowns and to continue to live and get up the way she does. I'm like, that's when I was having a hard day. Like I would think of her mm. and be like, okay, mm -hmm. you can do this. Um, her and I would love to have a cocktail with Des Linden. I ah. think she would be amazing. She's just. She's a power horse, and I am just a huge fan of hers. So I think those two people and Oprah. Oh, yeah. Throw Oprah. Oprah in there. You know how um, I feel about Oprah. Yeah. So that's that's my coffee cocktail I love it. list right there. What, what cocktail would you have? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm actually – it would be a beer. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm more of a beer person, so I'm a, I'm a fan of the IPAs, so – something 
something along those lines. I imagine you haven't had too many beers, though, in the past year. Well, so here's the funny thing was the chemo made me like I even the smell of beer made me want to throw up. Look, watching a commercial of of any alcohol, watching a commercial made me want to throw up. I was like, this is bizarre. Like, I don't even smell it. Just watching the commercial made Mm. me want to throw up. Um, So for a long time, I didn't have I didn't have any of that. Finally, it's getting back on the I can I can have a beer or two and not or be around it. But before I was like, I can't even go to a bar just to hang out with you guys because that smell is going to make me want to throw up. So it's really strange. But we're getting back to that. Getting back to some celebrating. Yes. Yes. Um, if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? So this comes from uh, a poem, but it's it's a line from a poem that says, be less quick to anger and show appreciation more, mm. which I just think is so important. Like we're just so quick to get annoyed by something or to complain about something and not quick to thank somebody for something that they've done or to recognize somebody or to reach out and just say hi, you know, or how you doing? Um, so I think that would be is to be less quick to anger and show appreciation more would be my message. That's really good. And it just makes me think of like, just in, I, I want to say today's world, but it's any day's world. Um, when people disagree so strongly politically or anything like that, it's like, if you could just like be slower to anger and understand and appreciate um, that, that people have different views, yeah, that's okay. You know, it, it takes a special person that can have a happy, solid, good conversation with someone they wholeheartedly degree, uh, disagree on. And oh, yeah, yeah. And I think people are just so uptight right now and so set in their ways that. We forget we're all human and like, let's just, let's just be kind. Okay. Yeah. Just be kind. Let's be like Ellen. Well, and yeah. in all reality, like it's probably always been like that. It's just so heightened because of social media. It, yeah. Yeah, exactly. People. And it's so easy to hide behind the keyboard and say oh. whatever you want to say yep. and things that you may not say in person to somebody. So yeah, don't say this unless you were standing right in front of me and you would feel comfortable actually saying it to my exactly. face. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What are you loving right now, Sarah? Um, I'm loving that my hair is growing back. Oh, yeah. But I don't know what to do with it. So, because uh-huh. um, I'm not, I've always been a long-haired person. So I'm loving right now headbands because I feel like that's a way I can do something with my hair and make, like, dress it up a little bit. Um because it's not long enough to do anything with. Um, so I'm loving headbands. I get um, some from a company called Mexicali Blues. And then I don't know if you've heard of Hank Bands, um, but she makes amazing headbands for running that do not fall off. Like they are fantastic. And when I got sick, she and a friend of mine designed one together and she donated part of the proceeds to um, to my fundra- or a fundraiser that people had set up for me and my family. Um, and so Hank Bands are amazing. I was a fan of hers before that, but even more so now. But um, that's a really cool headband that I'm that I just recently kind of I had put them all like away in my underwear drawer where you put things so you don't know what you're gonna do with <laughs> um, when I lost my hair. But I recently 
got them back out again and have started wearing them and it's just it's fun and it feels nice do you think you'll grow your hair back out to the length it was before oh yeah oh yeah Yay. Everyone's like, oh, but you look so cute with short hair. I'm like, uh-uh. Like, I want it back. Phase. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I want my hair back. And then maybe someday I'll cut it again. But for I'm not I'm not cutting it oh, for, for a long time. That's awesome. Because it's right now. I mean, I, I saw the picture. You went to like a St. Jude gala recently. And it's like, yep. it's like a short uh, army cut length almost, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's like a, a short, very short, like pixie cut. And yeah. I'm sure if. Again, I don't do hair. So short hair is like more time consuming than long hair. Oh, sure. You, to, you know, get up and put style you know, product in it. And yeah, style it where if I roll out of bed in the morning with long hair, I can just throw it up in a bun and off we go. Like, but yeah, um, you're going to have like a few months of just like in between that pixie to oh, like yeah. long. It's going to be, be the so awkward weird. phase. Yeah, yeah, I get to go through it all right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the best, most recent book you've read? So I, when I got sick, was like, sweet, I'm going to have all this time to read. <laughs> um, and I couldn't focus to do anything, like, except watch TV. Like, I literally, so I've just kind of gotten back into reading again. Um, I'm reading right now Bodies of Water by uh, T. Greenwood, which I really am enjoying. Um, I also read, and I can't think of the name of it um but it's the it's kind of depressing actually but it's the book about the collegiate track um girl who ended up committed su- committing suicide oh yeah uh, kate run with um, katie think, why katie ran yes, or something like that yes something like that so i read that recently um which was which was interesting and i really enjoyed the ronda rousey book that that we read oh yeah we read it for uh, the this book fall book. yeah yeah yep I really like that book. I, I like Ronda Rousey. She's a... I'm so scared of her. She's a fighter for sure. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I am yeah. terrified of her. Like, I would love to have her on this podcast, but I would be so scared. <laughs> oh, my God. I would not want to meet her in a dark alley <laughs> at all. But I'll read about her. Yeah. I thought that was one of... I think that was the first book club pick we did. And I think that of all the books, it's probably been one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, do you watch TV? Oh yeah. Okay. So what do you What are you into? So I'm into. Well, so my fa- I binge watched so much when I was sick. But my oh, favorite sure. that I binge watched when I was sick was Shameless. Oh, I love um, Shameless. Yeah, I went through that so fast. It was embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, rightfully many, so. It's a lot of seasons. But I was yeah. Um, but I'm really into all the Chicago shows. So like Chicago PD, Chicago Fire. Chicago Med. Um, we like those. My husband and I both like those shows. Um, this is us. Mm-hmm. Uh, really into that. And then because I'm like an 80 year old lady, I really enjoy watching Dateline on Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so weird, but I don't know why, but I enjoy I like I like a little Dateline too. I thought you were going to say Golden Girls when you said because I'm No, <laughs> Ooh, I, I do like Golden Girls, but yeah. um, no, Dateline. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's the, I'm a, I like the reality yeah. part of yeah. it, I think. Well, I'm going to assume your favorite nonprofit to support is St. Jude. Well, so yeah, um, that's definitely my favorite. Then there's a local favorite here that I like, and it's called Hair Matters. And okay. they are, it's, it's actually not they, it's one woman who provides um, 
hair treatment for folks with cancer-related hair loss free of charge. So she will, I wish I'd known about her when I first got diagnosed because I would have gone to her to have her shave my head. Um, But she will do like head shaving parties with like you and your friends and try and make it like, you know, kind of a fun event with champagne and let your friends, you know, cut a little bit. And before she shaves it all off, she'll fit you for wigs if you want one um, and give you wigs free of charge. And then what I'm working with her on is she will, as your hair grows back, she will cut it for a year um, after your last treatment. She'll cut it for a year to help kind of shape it as it's growing back in. Cause for a while mine was just this big, like puff ball, you know, it just was weird looking like it doesn't grow in normally and you need to get it cut regularly. But you know, so she provides that treatment free of charge. Um, so it's all, you know, it's just her and she just has a booth at her salon and she donates her time and materials and she's working on building her, her nonprofit up a bit, but locally, that's one that I like to support. I'm actually on the board of directors or whatever she's calls it. I'm not exactly sure, but <laughs> on her board, um, now to, that's my way of giving back. Like she's giving me this service and she's really trying to grow her business. So what I can do is give back my time and, and energy into helping her in whatever way that is. You seem to just like jump into things like full force. Like I'm passionate about this. I'm in. Yep. Basically. (laughs) I don't think about it much. I just, I get excited and I want to do it and I won't just go. Yeah, like, don't waste the time weighing out the pros and the cons. Like, make the decision, go do it, and carry on. Exactly. Love that. Yep. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for, A, supporting this show, but, B, like, just sharing your story. We, I mean, I and I'm sure a good amount of the listeners have followed along with your journey, and um, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, so I'm, I'm glad that we finally... Um, oh, thank you for happen. having me. And, and I hope, I hope that folks out there listening can get something from, from my story and, you know, feel free to reach out because I think that's the biggest thing is having support. And so if anyone has questions or has somebody that's going through it or they're going through it themselves, like, please feel free to reach out and, and ask, because I remember being in that position and a girl who is a year ahead of me in treatment just gave me so much hope for what to expect and that my life is going to get back to normal and I hair will grow back and I will have more energy again. But having hope, like if you don't have that, then it's really hard to get through the day. So if you have some hope that like life is going to be okay, then it's easier to muster through. So if anyone has any questions or wants to reach out, please feel free. I will link uh, Sarah's contact on social media and uh, email if you want to do email Sarah yes yep that's fine um, I'll link all of that in the show notes excellent awesome well Sarah have a wonderful rest of your day and hey we hopefully get to meet in Boston yes yes I I'm am really excited about that I What's... like went back and forth for a while like I was going to maybe schedule do like a little recording thing but I think we what we've decided to do is like literally just do a meetup and so um, oh nice I think 
I think Sunday from two to four, somewhere down like near the like Weston or somewhere near the finish line. I think we're going to do like just like a meetup, like whoever wants to come hang out and socialize for a little bit. And, you know, while you're on your way to do one thing or the next, like pop in. Right. And I think it'll be so fun to meet so many amazing people. Yeah, that'll be really fun. So I hope I I can connect with you then. Yes. Yes, definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, best of luck with the rest of your training. And I'm just happy for you. you. And I'm happy to know you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing your story and letting us follow along with you with your journey. I'm so happy that you're healthy and feeling good and cannot wait to cheer for you in Boston. Thanks, Strava, for supporting this episode of the podcast. You guys don't forget to head over to the blog on Strava and enter to win that New York City Marathon giveaway. I will put a link to that in my show notes at lindsayhine.com. And find me on Strava. I'm at lindsayhine. Thank you, Four Sigmatic, for supporting this podcast. Head over to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. If you guys are interested in following Sarah and her journey over on Instagram, you can find her Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Blair, B-L-A-I-R 55. That's her Instagram handle. And you guys can find me, LindsayHine626. I'm also on Twitter, at LindsayHine, and you can find us on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. All right, you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Good luck to everybody gearing up to run Boston and... Have a great weekend. Have a great Friday. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.